You loved me through my good. You loved me through my bad. You loved me through my good. And you loved me through my bad. Jesus, you didn't erase my future because of my past. I'm glad you loved me through my good and my bad. Through my good and my bad. You love me through my good. You love me through my bad. Didn't erase my future. Hallelujah. Because of my past. Thank you. I'm glad you loved me through my good and my bad. You loved me through my good and my bad. So glad you loved me. You loved me through my good. Never took your love away. You loved me through my bad. And you didn't erase my future. Thank God you didn't write me off. I even did some things I know you despise, God. God, I know sometimes we make you ashamed. Thank you for never giving us what we deserve, God. After falling again and again, every blessing and request that you granted, Lord. Favorite right here. You keep on loving me. Can somebody help me? You keep on loving me. You keep on loving me. You keep right on loving me. Through the good and the bad, you never stop loving me. Through the lessons learned, you show me. We disobey We run from you, bring change to your name, but your love remains, who can love me, like you do, Lord, what you are to me, no man could ever be, you see through every mistake, through every stumble, you prove to your children, you'll always be there, through every slip, through all of my issues, you could have been finished,
all my good and my bad. You love me through my good and through my bad. Oh, didn't erase my future because of my past. I'm glad you love me through my good and bad. When we think about all of our own good and bad, can we say the same? A young man was on the phone with the young lady that he loved, and he was trying to convince her how much he really loved her. And so he decided to use a comparison. He said, I don't have an executive job like Jeffrey Brown does, but I love you. She was silent. And then he said, I, you know, I, don't, I don't have a big mansion on the lake like Jeffrey Brown does, but you mean all the world to me. Again, she was silent. And then he said, you know, I don't really have a nice ride like Jeffrey Brown does, but that doesn't mean that I don't really love you. Finally, she responded. She said, I love you too, but tell me a little bit more about Jeffrey Brown. <laughs> Does that sound like how we express our appreciation to God for his unconditional love? When we think about all the good and bad in our own lives, as believers, do we really appreciate how special, how unique this love is? If we are truly, if we're really growing spiritually in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we should always be conscious of how unconditional this love really is. We want to reflect for a few minutes today on some of the uniqueness of this love and how we actually express and can express this great love. Couple of points. First of all, we appreciate the stability of God's unconditional love. Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 3 rather, Verses 14 through 17. Our focus verse here is verse 17, but for connection, let's read from verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, in other words, Christ wants to make his home in your hearts, Paul says, as you trust him so that your roots can grow down deep into God's love and, and you can become strong 
in Christ. How strong is your love? What will your love do that will enable you to do anything for God? Another young man was, uh, decided that he would uh, email his, his, his uh, fiance and tell her how much he loved her. And, uh, and so he began his email by saying, My dearest Sue, uh, words can't really express uh, what I want to say to you, and I really can't put in words uh, the thoughts that dance across my mind when thoughts of you come to mind. He says, Because of you, my whole life has changed. I now have more glide in my stride and more cut in my strut. There is no mountain that is too high that I will not climb to get next to you. There's no ocean so deep that I will not swim it just to be next to you. I just wanted to tell you that I love you. Signed, Sam. P.S. I'll see you Saturday night if it doesn't rain. (laughs) Even though Jesus does reside in the heart of every true believer, the problem is not every heart is a comfortable home for him. Because he may not find full access to every room and every nook and cranny and closet. Of that heart. The heart is where he feels most at home because it's where he finds faith and love. But it's also where he he does not expect to be grieved by sinful words, thoughts, motives, and actions. It's also where he can enjoy that unique, unbroken relationship, fellowship with the believer. And so the Christian heart, therefore, becomes the home of Christ, the place where he loves and enjoys being, just as he loved and enjoyed being in the home of of Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha when he walked among men. Paul uses an interesting word here, rooted. It means firm position. And the implication here is that it should become a habit to make faith and love rooted like a tree is rooted in the ground in our hearts. The problem that Jesus has today is that too many Christians would like to have the fruit of the Spirit without being rooted and grounded in spiritual things. Major frustration for the Lord Jesus Christ. But since the heart is the center of the believer's spiritual life from which every facet of behavior is controlled, the Apostle Paul's prayer here, and this is a prayer of the, Lord, of the Apostle Paul, his prayer is for Jesus' lordship to cover a broad spectrum in our lives. From the books and magazines and the articles that we read to the work and the, and the, the activities that we engage in, the food and the delicacies that we eat and enjoy, the money that we spend and the investments that we make, and the very words that we speak, not to mention the the websites that we surf and browse on the internet. In other words, 
The smallest details of our everyday lives are covered. The more we get to, we get, the more we are, more power we're able to get through the Holy Spirit, the more we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the more we are like him, the more he will be more inclined to settle down and feel totally at home in our hearts. And the question we must answer today is, does Jesus really feel at home in your heart? Does he? Is he comfortable at home in your heart today? You see, answering this question positively is what it means to practice his presence. It's only through faith, Paul says here, that we can truly make this a reality in our lives and truly appreciate the stability of God's uncontrollable love. Paul uses the same term through faith in another passage. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. He says, so, you may, so, so we are made right with God through faith and not by what? Obeying the law or by doing stuff for God like so many people like to do and, and think that they're earning some brownie points with God. You see, while many religions require performance and certain duties and rituals to make a person acceptable to God, the uniqueness of Christianity has no such good deed requirements. None. To make a person right with God. In other words, no amount of human accomplishment or personal goodness can close that mega gap between the moral perfection of God and our imperfect daily performance, day in and day out. None. Now, that doesn't mean that good deeds are not important. Good deeds are important in their own right. But they have absolutely no merit when it comes to earning eternal life. The only way to be saved is by trusting only in what God has done for us, not what we have done for ourselves. Remember what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 tell us. For by grace are you saved. What? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is what? A gift of God. Not as a result of what? Works. So that anyone may boast about it. And look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God did what? Prepare beforehand so that we could walk in them. But you see, there are a lot of people who have issues and who have a problem with what God says about being saved only by faith. Why does God save us only by faith? Why couldn't you throw a little bit of works in there along with it? Like some people are doing today. Well, first of all, faith gets rid of the pride of human effort. Because faith is not an action we do. Not something that we can do. Secondly, faith praises what God has done instead of what we do. 
Thirdly, faith admits that we need help because we can't keep the law or measure up to the standards that God has set. God's standards of perfection never could measure up to those. And then faith is based on our relationship with God, not an acquaintance, a distant acquaintance, but a relationship, a loving relationship with God, not on what we do for God. No brownie points. No merits. And so we see that the contentment of Jesus' inner presence is only made possible through faith. And this involves something else. It involves continually depending on him. Are you depending on Jesus every day because of the unconditional love that he demonstrated? Continually surrendering to him day in and day out. Continually acknowledging his at-homeness within. As each day goes, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is comfortably at home in your heart? Or is he being grieved by some of the things that you do, the things that you say, the motives that you have for the actions that you do? But Jesus feels most at home because it's where he finds not only faith, but also love. Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, the very same love that caused Christ to die is the same love that the Holy Spirit sends in our hearts. For what purpose? To give us the enabling power we need to guide us in our everyday lives. We need power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saves us. So what does it mean? It means that we are guaranteed that having begun a life with Christ, we have all the love along with its enabling power to meet every trial and challenge we encounter every single day of our earthly pilgrimage. That's what the stability of this unconditional love does for us. And that's why we ought to appreciate it. So we see clearly that Jesus feels most at home in our hearts because it's where he finds faith and love. Is he at home in your heart? Because that's what he finds there today. Faith and love. If he is, then you are truly appreciating the stability of God's unconditional love. But then Paul shows us something else here that's unique and interesting. Something else that would really help us to be appreciative of the stability that we have in this unconditional love of God. Paul also shows us how critical our spiritual growth is to God by the fact that his prayerful petition here involves the full Godhead. Yeah, the Trinity. Notice, it is requested of the Father in verse 14 that believers be strengthened through his Spirit, that's verse 16, so that Christ may completely be at home in our hearts, verse 17. Full Godhead. It's not like 
This wasn't so important to God that God says, uh, Holy Spirit sends spiritual things as your portfolio. You go and take care of the spiritual development of my people. No, it was so important that the full Godhead is involved in our spiritual growth and development. And that's why the Bible tells us that we are to grow and not be stagnant. That's what this unconditional love is all about. Regardless of what we have done, that doesn't change the stability of God's unconditional love. And so like the Apostle Paul, we as believers have the same great privilege that Paul exhibits here in prayer that enables us to engage the eternal Godhead to move and work on our behalf and the benefit of others. This is a sobering reminder that we ought not downplay or minimize the power of prayer. We have seen the miraculous things that God has done in all of our lives here at Calvary Bible Church through the power of prayer. I knew a brother, missionary brother, who um, really believed in the power of prayer. Wherever you met him and you asked him for prayer, he'd say, okay, let's pray right now. If you met him in the aisles of the grocery store and he asked you, how you doing? And he says, oh, you know, I need prayer. I've got this problem. I got that problem. He says, yeah, right there. Let's pray right now. Bow your head right there in the aisle of the grocery store and pray for you right there and then. Because he believed in the awesome power of prayer. He believed that the Godhead moves on our behalf. Prayer is the hand that moves the almighty God. And Paul gives us a reminder of that here when he talks, uh, talks about the stability of this unconditional love that God had demonstrated for us through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So because of Christ's unrestricted access, the Christian becomes, what Paul says here, rooted and grounded in love. But notice two interesting words he uses to reinforce this point. Rooted and grounded. Now, we know those of you who are into gardening and all that kinds of stuff. We know that a plant gets all of its nourishment and support from its roots, right? So the roots are important. And those who are into, into construction, like Errol, know that uh, the ground has, has got to be firm. In order for a, a, a structure or a building to get its stability, the ground that it sits on must be firm. Isn't that so? That's why they pack it with all that... that uh, quarry and they tamp it down and they do all that stuff. Well, what Paul is saying here, Paul is using these words because he wants us to understand that being rooted and grounded in love means being established in love as a way of life. Like eating, drinking, breathing, a way of life. Benefiting constantly from the sustenance and stability of God's unconditional love. That's, what he's, that's the point that he's trying to make here. And how exactly is this life of love is to be expressed? How do we express this? How do we demonstrate this in a practical way? Well, he tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love is patient. And is kind. Is not jealous or boastful. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Can't tell you how many times wives have been accused of being historical instead of hysterical. Husband says they bring up all your past. Don't make no mistake. They don't get hysterical. They get historical. Well, he says here, 
Love keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when? Whenever truth wins out. But he says something else. He says, love never gives up. And so that explains some of those stories we hear about how one spouse treats another spouse so bad, and yet they still claim that they love them. They got the real thing. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through, not some, but every circumstance. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about this love being fleshed out in our lives in a way that we're expressing our gratitude, our appreciation to God for it. But then as, as Paul preferably lays out here in verse 17, a plan for the believer's stability and growth and development, what, is that, what, what exactly is he driving at? What is he, getting, what is he priming us for? Well, he's preparing us to be able to grasp the uniqueness of this love so that we appreciate something else about this love. We appreciate the scope of God's unconditional love. There's the stability, but there's also the scope. How much ground does it cover? How far does it go? Verse 18. May you have, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and length and height and depth. He wants us to have the power to understand as all of God's people how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love really is. Now, because there are so many Christians today who view God in a really strange way. They view God as either a mad judge or a strict master. There are people who think about God like that. Instead of the loving heavenly father that he is. Compassionate. Paul particularly wants believers to grasp the immeasurable vastness of God's love. In other words, it fills all things. No, he says, he talks about height, length, depth, breath. It fills all things. That's the point that he's making. But first, let's consider another expression that he uses here. With all the saints. What did he include that for? What does that mean? The implication here is that because this love is so vast, it's almost impossible for any one believer to grasp the, just, just, just a tiny fraction of it by themselves. Thus in requiring other saints to share in discussing and studying it. So what do we do in discovery class. When we all get together as believers, what this does, this enables the Holy Spirit to use the collective meditations of all the saints. There's that phrase again, all the saints, as a group to shed extra light on the scriptures. But notice the scope of this love. How wide? It's with us as broad as the world itself. Extensive enough to reach all nations, none excluded. 
For God so loved the world. How long? Its length is continuously, is the continuous recounting throughout the countless ages of eternity of the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In other words, it will last forever. How deep is this love? Paul gives us a colorful description in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Boy, we can all say amen to that, right? You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live like that, live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger or God's wrath, as some versions put it, just like everyone else. But God, don't you like that word, but? Don't you? It means there's something better coming, right? But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. Here we see the disgusting sin and deprivation that prompted Christ to come to this cruel world of filth and corruption. To die in your place and in my place. A criminal's death on the cross, as Philippians 2.8 tell us. But then how high is this love? It's high to seen in, Philippians, in Ephesians 2.6. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Would you want to be anywhere else? And so the Apostle Paul explains the scope of this unconditional love elsewhere when he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to do what? Take away us, not cover it. Take it away once and for all. And so God loves, makes it clear why God creates. He creates because he loves us so much that he creates people in his own image to love. God makes it clear also why God cares. Because he loves and cares about sinful people. And don't want, them see them, don't want to see them face destruction or his wrath. But God loves makes it also clear why we have freedom of choice. Because God wants 
a loving response from the recipients of his love. He wants us to be able to appreciate the scope of his unconditional love. God's love makes it clear why Christ had to die. Because his love for us prompted him to provide a one-time solution for the problem of sin. We don't need to go to a temple with lambs to make sacrifices like the saints of old had to do. Jesus Christ provided a one-time solution. God's love makes it clear why we receive eternal life. Because God's love is an eternal expression of his love for you and for me. And so God's love is total and all-encompassing because it reaches every corner and crevice of our lives, our experiences. God's love is wide. It covers the span of our own experiences and reaches out into the entire world. There's no place that God's love hasn't reached. God's love is long. It continues the full length of our lives and beyond. His love is high. It ascends to the heights of our celebration and jubilation. But it's also deep. Because it descends to the depths of depression, discouragement, and even death. With such a vast and infinite scope, what more is there for us to appreciate about this indescribable love of God? This unconditional love of God. Well, we, we appreciate the experience of God's unconditional love. Verse 19. And to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, may you experience the love of Christ. Now, this verse prompts the question. Why should we settle for living like paupers when God has given us his fullness? Why? Here we see the final request in Paul's prayer. That we may know from experience the knowledge surpassing love of Christ. While he admits that it's a challenge to fully discover it like, a, like an ocean with no shores. A vast ocean. We could still learn a little more about it each and every day. And so his prayer for us is to have a, a deep investigational knowledge and gratification of this amazing love of our wonderful Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But consider why this is so important. Living an empty life can not only be disappointing, but dangerous. Many don't realize this. Dangerous because if we, if we are not filled with the Spirit of God, then the spirit of disobedience will move in. And we fall into sin. Again, Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obey the devil, the command of the powers of the unseen world. 
He is the spirit at work in the hearts of all those who disobey God. That's why it's so disappointing and dangerous to live an empty life. For this reason, Paul concludes his magnificent prayer here by saying that, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What he does here is he, he reiterates what he said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Verse 10. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every rule and authority. The more Christ fully resides in our hearts by faith, the more we are filled with all the fullness of God. Because this is God's ultimate purpose for our lives. Do you realize that? God's ultimate purpose for our lives is that we may have the fullness of God. But Paul says exactly what he means. And means exactly what he says. Some people don't think that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. So what does it mean? What really does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? Based on what Paul is saying here. Well, to be filled with all the fullness of God means having our entire soul filled with some unique graces that God has bestowed upon us. Meekness, gentleness, goodness, love, justice, holiness, mercy, and truth. And you'll notice that all of these are actually the gifts and graces that God has already promised to give us through his distribution to the church. What does this give us? This gives us a goal that we can reach for. A goal that we can strive for rather than wandering aimlessly through the Christian life in a saved, satisfied, and stuck state. Like so many normal little Christians are doing today. Not enjoying God's fullness. Paul also gives one of the most promising comforting promises in scripture in another passage that would help us to appreciate the experience of God's unconditional love passage that we are quite familiar with Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39 I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? You see, because of the many hardships and disappointments and discouragements Christians face today, such as sickness, persecution, imprisonment. I heard about a pastor in, 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 in one place that was uh, some Muslim extremists came into his church and tied him up and beat him so bad that they broke his arm. They wanted him to recant. Even death itself, there are times when these things come 
And the fear is that we may be abandoned by Christ. But Paul wants us to understand that such abandonment is nothing more than a deception, a lie of the devil. Because it's impossible to be separated from the unconditional love of, love of Christ. Christ's death for us proves how unbeatable and unshakable his love for us is. To the extent that nothing can ever separate us from his presence. God reminds us of how great his love is so that we can always feel totally secure in him. Regardless of what happens. Regardless of what sickness comes. Regardless of what kind of depression comes to try to overwhelm us. We can feel totally secure in him. By believing in these overwhelming assurances of Romans 8. We can avoid crippling, debilitating fear. That so many people succumb to in the body of Christ today. So when we consider the stability, the scope, and the experience of this love, what should really be our expressed appreciation for God's unconditional love? How should we respond? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 what an appropriate response should be. He says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Is there a better example of love that we can follow? I mean, you tell me. Is there? He tells us what his love did. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So then here's how we apply this. In the same way that children try to be like their parents. Ever know how children try to do everything that their parents do? If a parent is walking along, they're trying to walk and fit their little small feet in their big feet. Good example. In the same way that children try to be like their parents, let's follow Christ. The example that God, the Heavenly Father, has set for us. Is that too hard for us to do? His unconditional love for us led him to make the ultimate sacrifice. No greater sacrifice could he have made of himself so that we could have eternal life. So here's what we ought to do. Let's show our appreciation by having the same kind of unconditional love for others. Especially those that you claim that you don't like. A love that goes much further than just warm, fuzzy friendliness. But it goes to the extent, extent of selfless, sacrificial service. Can we do that? If we can. That's how we can show our appreciation. For this unconditional love of God that you heard the man sang about in the video that we saw at the beginning. No matter what we have done, God's love doesn't change. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful that in our 
finite little minds we cannot fully comprehend the awesomeness of this unconditional love that you demonstrated toward us. Help us today as we leave here to make a determination in our hearts that we will try to model this love in every circumstance that we come in contact with where we are challenged to love. And may you receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.